Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. My guest today is Dr. David Wexler. Uh, Dr. Wexler has uh, a level of expertise in a subject that we don't talk about very much. He is an expert in relationship management, and he is the executive director of the Relationship Training Institute. One of the fun things about this podcast is being able to leverage expertise in subject matter that is sometimes difficult to access because we don't understand what even the questions we want to ask are, or the subject matter is a little bit threatening, uh, or it makes us a little bit nervous. And uh, Dr. Wexler has a level of expertise in relationship development, really getting into domestic violence prevention and training and, and, and issues around consultation. But I wanted him to come in here to help us dissect out some of these drivers of behavior, some of these drivers of uh, things particularly pertaining to men and when men start to behave badly. And we're going to really dive into that. So Dr. Wexler, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Marcus. It's a pleasure to be on. So I want to kind of get to the roots of this, you know, in, in looking at the work that you've been doing, videos that you already have up on YouTube, there is an underlying principle that I want to dive into right now and really get your perspective on. It's this differentiation between the subject of guilt and the subject of shame. And obviously, as a physician, this comes up all the time. It comes up for physicians when we feel like maybe we've made a mistake. It comes up for patients when maybe they feel like they've let their doctor down. But it comes up in all aspects of life. And I think being able to pull those two subjects apart and examine them for what they are is a really important underpinning of all this. So kind of take us take us into that granular level of guilt versus shame. Okay. <clears throat> the... Uh... The best working definitions that uh, I've ever heard and that I like to use for the difference between guilt and shame is uh, guilt is uh, when you've done something wrong or that you feel is wrong, you say to yourself, I made a mistake. Shame is when you've done something wrong and you say to yourself, I am a mistake. Hmm. And yeah. the distinction yeah. between those two things, you know, it's, we're talking about one word in a sentence, but the, the distinction is huge. Uh, the, when somebody is able to look back at something in that they've done, whether it could be something very small that they accidentally uh, said something uh, a little bit sarcastic to their wife or something, or something huge uh, that they've done wrong. Um, and they're able to say, I screwed up here. Uh, <clears throat> I can learn from this. Uh, I feel bad about it. Uh, I want to be able to um, to use that information about myself, and the feel, and I want to be able to use feeling bad to uh, be a better person in the future. That God gave us this ability to feel guilty, and it comes in very handy for the evolution of the species, and it's certainly evolution of things like relationships or good relationship behavior. Shame, however, is really a killer when it comes to. Uh, really trying to behave differently or better in the future. Uh, the, the, one of the lines that I use with many of the men that I work with is, shame is not our friend. Uh, shame, <clears throat> the, the, the typical reactions that people have when they experience shame, the I am a mistake type of shame, is they either, well, I guess you can think of it as sort of a sympathetic nervous system arousal with fight or flight syndrome, fight, fight or flight reactions. They either withdraw. 
they, because the shame, experiencing the shame is so unbearable that they have to deny what happened. They go get drunk to cover up what happened. They, uh, if they're, if it's in a relationship situation, they have to pull away from the other person because the, the shame is just unbearable or they go into fight mode. In other words, they might, um, because they're feeling so bad about themselves, they have to get somehow aggressive or counterattack to start to pump themselves up and feel more significant or feel more valuable. Or, uh, like if, um, if my wife criticizes me about something, and if that generates shame, one of my reactions, if I'm not careful about it, would be to go into counterattack mode. I'm mad at her because she has just generated this awful feeling in me called shame, and it's kind of a kill the messenger thing. I'm she's been the, she's been the conduit or the messenger for that um, for that bad experience I'm having, and I have to turn it against her. And neither of those positions. That come with shame, the fight or the flight, are in any way helpful for people actually growing, learning, and applying better behavior in the future. It's interesting, though, this stuff that you're talking about, guilt versus shame, can, can we leverage this beyond husband and wife relationships? I mean, it really seems like this is germane to any sort of interaction, whether it's friends or partners or doctor patient or boss employee can, can it be leveraged out that far or is it more defined by a more intense dynamic of a husband wife or a partner something like that well it it probably plays out most uh dramatically in our most intimate relationships with, yeah. in, and the int- most intimate relationships for most people is their romantic intimate partner as well or a parent child relationship also can activate that but you can see it but but the same issue about the paralysis of shame is evident in other situations <clears throat> you you look at um any studies about prison reform um if you really spend a lot of time shaming uh people who have done bad things they don't tend to reform that much they end up more becoming hardened and becoming, and they develop a view of themselves as being hopeless, defective, and uh, incapable of of, uh, of of any kind of meaningful new behavior in their lives. Um, you see, it if if you're in a situation like in a, in a medical doctor patient relationship, if somebody is uh, engaging in some lifestyle choices that are clearly uh, destructive, such as smoking cigarettes, for example, um, there's only so far that it's going to take you if somehow the, the guy ends up feeling ashamed of himself. If, if somehow the message he's getting is, how can you do this to your family? How can you do this to yourself? What's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Didn't ha- haven't you read all the, don't, don't you read what it says on cigarette packages? Um, you know, I suppose every once in a while there's, uh, there might be a little bit of room for that when the stakes are really high, but any uh, uh, any psychological study or any or clinical observations about how people react says that people don't respond well to that. They may they may look sheepish, but they don't change. When they they change, when they feel like their uh, their fault or whatever it is that they've been doing that has been a problem is part of the human condition. 
It's like there's a, there's a concept uh, in the field of psychology called the twinship or kinship experience. And one of the things that, uh, that works extremely well for me in working with men in particular is to, uh, is to try to activate this twinship thing. And basically that means me saying, uh, well, I just the example I gave with you a few, few minutes ago, I said, if, my, if this happened with me, uh, here's a, a way I might react with my wife. That's my way of saying, I go through this too. I'm not sitting here as you know, Dr. Wexler being this expert. Uh, when I'm sitting in a room with counseling a guy or a group of men, uh, when we get past the, the, the fact that I'm wearing the tie and I have the, the word doctor and I'm getting paid, what we have is two men in a room sitting around sharing experiences about being male. And the more of that that, uh, that I can cultivate, the more likely it is that the guy will drop some of his defenses. He won't feel so ashamed. And it opens up a doorway for him to, uh, to listen to me. And I think the same is true in any, uh, not just in a clinical, you know, a psychology clinical situation, but in an employer-employee relationship, in like I talked about prison situation or doctor patient, uh, any situation like that, people respond are more likely to change for the better when they feel um, less horrible about themselves. They, we want them to examine whatever behavior it is that needs to be examined, um, but we want them to to be able to say, "I made a mistake, not I am a mistake." For someone who is sort of on the side of being just we'll call it like the alpha in this sort of dynamic where there's the doctor patient or the boss employee, what are the sort of tools that that person who is in that sort of more alpha spot can have to recognize that they're going to put someone in that position where maybe they feel frightened, ashamed, cornered. This is not a, a well-taught behavior, I think, in leadership to recognize that this is something that you're going to make people feel what are the sort of tools, what are the checkpoints that when I'm going to meet with a patient or when someone's going to sit down with an employee to help level that playing field so that everyone knows, hey, we're exchanging ideas here. I'm not here to bang you over the head with something. We're here to learn and work together. Right. Uh, there are a few things I think that uh, seem to contribute to a better outcome of those kinds of conversations. One is, <clears throat> I'm probably stating something that's really obvious, but I'll state it anyway, to stay away from any kind of language that is glo globally negative. I mean, like, what are you, stupid? I mean, <laughs> that, right, that, right. I mean obviously, you'd have to be a pretty, uh, pretty bad uh, boss to be able to, to talk like that to your employee. But, um, but you just don't want to say, to use any language that implies that there's something that there's a significant deficit in that person. You know, the message needs to be, um, I don't think you were thinking straight when you made that decision, which keeps it um, specific to a particular time and place rather than a global assessment of the person's character or certain qualities like intelligence um, or honesty that, uh, that potentially could uh, initiate shame. Another one is kind of like what I was talking about before about trying to normalize the experience. You never want to say, oh, gee, you, um, you blew up at the workplace and, uh, gee, we all do that, so don't worry about it. I'm not talking about that kind of normalizing. But to be able to say, I know what it's like to really feel like to, – to feel really frustrated about the way things are being run around in a, in a job. 
I know what the, I, I understand what that's like, and it's really tempting for all of us at times to just want to let that out. Those are normal feelings to have, and every one of us, if we look around, look at our ourselves carefully and really self-examine, we can see times when we've crossed over that line and said or done things that came across as too aggressive or or destructive in some way. Uh, so we've all been there, and this particular time you did cross over that line and we need to help we need to work on it so you don't do that again but what's implied in there is we're kind of all in this together you're not a freak you're not somebody who is who is uh deficient you made a mistake here and there's you know you you mentioned at the beginning this term that I've that I use uh, one of my books is called when good men behave badly and this is the kind of message we're talking about. I'm, I'm on a, and as a boss in that situation or a therapist or any other of these roles we're talking about, the message I want to transmit to this guy is, I believe you are a good guy. Now that we got that out of the way, in this particular situation, you behave badly or you, you, your behavior needs some correction. And, and what I find is that when men in particular, when that first half of the message is solidly in place, when they feel like I really respect them, value them, care about them, can relate to them, they are way more likely to be receptive to any kind of correction or guidance uh, or sometimes disciplinary action that relates to the fact that in this situation they behave badly because their fundamental self-worth is not what's being challenged here. And just to to overlap to relationship issues, you see that happening all the time in um, you know in marriages or in intimate partner relationships. People blow up at each other or withdraw or do other kinds of destructive things in a relationship because they feel like the message from the other person is you are a loser or I don't love you anymore or I, I don't think I want to be with you anymore. And when they experience that level of threat or sense of shame at the at being put down or or possibly being rejected um they're not able to hear or collect their resources to respond well to the other person if the message let's say in a, in a situation with wife critical of husband if the guy knows his wife loves him and there's a lot of and Plenty of times she really shows her appreciation of him. If that's, a, if that's solid in his mind, then for him to be able to hear that she's pissed off because he said something or didn't do something or hurt her, she, her, hurt her feelings in some way, he can handle that because it's not representing such an enormous threat to his, to his self-worth. So those are some of the main themes, I think, that help to make sure that the right kind of message comes through rather than the wrong one. It's so interesting to, to hear it articulated in this way. And I'll be honest, I'm having like my own sort of, you know, we have that, that I think the, the term was counter transference. If I remember just right. thinking about what this feels like and, and what's at stake. I mean, people's feelings and emotions about how they feel about themselves change on a dime. And particularly for people who maybe stand on that alpha side of the equation, I think docs are, are a good example. We may frequently underestimate the impact of 
not so much what we say, but how it makes the person we're talking to feel. And then we wonder, well, why are they clamming up? Why won't my patient talk to me? Why don't they like me? Why don't they listen to what I have to say? Well, it's maybe we're really triggering these feelings where, oh my God, I'm never going to get better. I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to make it where my doctor doesn't feel like I'm letting them down. Um, so, and, and the, these tools that you're talking about to level that playing field, I don't think that there's any other, there's nothing else that, that, that that's it. That that's it. I mean, you want secret sauce. There's your secret sauce. Right. Now we have to go to the other side of the equation though, for someone who is in that part where they are feeling bad, they are feeling ashamed. What are the, what are the buttons to push when you went for them to be able to have, I know you've used this term a lot, courage to get help. And it, it's not an oversimplification. It takes, it takes backbone to say, I feel this way. It's causing me to behave this way, which is probably very destructive. I need to marshal resources to move forward. How, how does that dynamic evolve both in the individual and then in that dynamic where you're trying to help somebody? Yeah. I call that kind of language in reaching men, uh, guy talk, guy talk. And it, uh, what it, the principles it follows is exactly what you've just been laying out. You need to find a way. Um, well, if you're the guy yourself, there are certain things that it's helpful to, to talk, to tell yourself, or if you're somebody who's trying to advise or encourage a guy, you need to find the language to get through to this guy with things like it takes courage to ask for help or, uh, it takes brains to, to ask for help or, um, one, one surefire way, in my mind, to motivate men to seek help that they might otherwise not have sought would be, your kids really need you to turn this around. I have dealt with a lot of what I would call badass guys who, are, who seem very stubborn, defended, uh, def- uh, defensive, and um, difficult, really difficult for me to get through to. Until I play the magic kid card, where I say, let's try to focus in on what effect your behaviors are having on your kids, or what it would be like if your kids were able to discover that you've been doing X or Y or Z. How do you think that would end up affecting your relationship with them or affecting them in the future? And lo and behold, I often start to see the waterworks coming out of these guys and, and then uh, expressing a way more tender uh, emotions. And most importantly, for my, my purposes, it can motivate them to change certain behavior patterns that very little else might have been successful in, in motivating to, them to do. And that's another example of the, the guy talk. Another thing is to uh, when it comes to help-seeking behavior – uh, m- many men, of course, have a lot of stigma uh, associated with that because it either means that somebody's saying that they're crazy or deficient, mm-hmm. or that they aren't self-sufficient, that they need that they need help in some way, um, and they aren't able to do it on their own. And so, uh, to use a fancy term like uh, psychotherapy or something is often overkill. That's never going to land, right? That with that sort of an audience, that that terminology done, wall down, finished. Right. There I mean there's I, I don't want to generalize all men cuz certainly no, some sure. just with that, but um a, a significant percentage of men that term does not fly. 
so then maybe you want to dial it down to counseling. Well, even certain men, to, the, the word counseling is a, a little bit um, either uh, scary or feels uh, that it in some way implies that they need, that, that they are deficient in some way. So I'll call it something like classes or coaching or something else that will be, that will uh, dial down the, um, the potential um, negative effect or negative label of this. We want to create a face-saving way for them to seek the services that, 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 they, that they need. And I don't care what they call it as long as they do it. Uh, if, if I believe that a guy, let's say, is, is depressed, um, and I, I'm not going to say to him, usually, I think you need psychotherapy and you need to uh, get evaluated by, your, by a psychiatrist for medication. Uh, I'm going to say, we need to come up together with some sort of action plan that will uh, you know, help you um, put together the best possible resources for you to activate some uh, strategy to be able to be at the top of your game. And we, and we, and there's this, and there's a coaching program about how guys can make sure that their energy levels and that their thought process makes them working on all cylinders so that when there's uh, certain situations in which you got, you know, two outs in the bottom of the ninth and the base is loaded, we want you to be able to focus with, you know, be, be, be at the top of your game and come through and, and get a home run in that situation. That's what we're looking for from you. And if, and for a lot of men, if you can frame it in language that is, uh, that makes them feel, uh, masculine and doesn't suggest that somehow you're trying to do something to them that will soften or weaken them and turn them into to some, some sort of foreign feminine type of person, uh, the exact same intervention or the exact same service that might be valuable to them is a much easier sell. That's really interesting in terms of leveraging the terminology that they can identify with and understand to then be able to build on. I mean, everyone coaching the sports metaphor. I mean, we, you know, we can, we can go for miles on that, but then also avoiding terms that are either going to be threatening or they just don't understand, which in and of itself is probably going to be a little bit threatening. Right. As, as you go forward though, when we're working with patients who have difficult behaviors or are struggling with whatever those triggers are, um, is it helpful for people to understand that when they are acting out or when they are not being, not doing the right thing in a relationship or they're not taking good care of themselves, that those behaviors are part of what they're doing, but it doesn't define them as a man. It doesn't define them as a human being. Right. Uh, and that gets back to the sort of the whole, when good men behave badly type of philosophy. Um, you know, with some of the, um, the, the work I do with violent men in, in the domestic violence groups, we have a motto, which is uh, we treat the man, not the label. And we tell these guys, when you walk into this room, you're not a batterer. You're not a wife beater. You're not a spouse abuser. You're a guy with a lot of different strengths, different weaknesses, different things going for you. You're all, you're here because something went wrong in your life that we need to help you correct. But we know that is not the whole picture of who you are. And so, and that speech goes over very well. And as long as we can back it up by actually 
um, treating them in that fashion, uh, we en- we enlist a lot more alliance with them and a, m- a lot more buy-in from them about the various valuable tools and resources and perspectives that, um, that we want to try to offer them. So the um, the same is true with other kinds of behaviors that are a problem. If somebody is has an alcohol problem or uh, smoking cigarettes or other uh, other lifestyle or making other lifestyle choices that are impacting their physical or mental health or the people around them, the message we want to send is basically we know you have a lot of very valuable qualities and very valuable resources. People love you. You have a lot to uh, to offer the world. Uh, there are a lot of situations in which you would be tempted to make some sort of mistake or do something destructive where you don't, where you are successful. We want to harness that particular resource that you have and apply it more and more because something somehow that resource is not getting activated sufficiently when it comes to you know X Y or Z problem X Y or Z. And there's a there's an approach in in psychology called excuse me solution-focused therapy. Um, And one of the key elements of that is instead of analyzing uh, people's problems and uh, what what went wrong in them getting angry or in their relationship or in their drug use or something, um, we're really focused on all the times when you handled it successfully. And we want to dissect and analyze as carefully as possible uh, what elements you used, what thought processes, what conditions, what uh, res- personal resources you were able to activate to be successful in that situation. And then we want to clone those. We want to make sure that you know exactly what those are because you've proven that you already own those experiences and you own those resources. We just want to help you activate those more consistently and more predominantly in situation after situation. And that is a much more effective approach, focusing on, well, it's the philosophy you hear in business all the time, catching somebody doing something right. Focusing on that goes away, goes way further than continuing to just analyze what somebody did wrong, which you have to do also, but uh, that is not as effective an intervention as the the success intervention. As you're talking, I'm just wishing that I had like a transcriptionist because these are the tools. This is the language that, you know, we just don't really get. Uh, it's not, I mean, it wasn't part of my sort of medical training. It's not something that is frequently role modeled. And I don't think in general, people are very good at this sort of thing. And there's obviously tremendous value when you can leverage that, when you can help someone build on being, build on their successes as opposed to feeling crummy for a, a shortcoming or a place where they went wrong. As, as we work to help everyone where they're, when they're manifesting behaviors that are bad, destructive, to swing to that good, wh- when someone wants to learn more about this, I mean, if someone wants to access you, how do we, where are those skill sets? Where are those tools that people can reach out for to say, hey, I, I'm working with people who are at risk and I'm not good at this, or I'm at risk and I, I need help, as we talked about, you know, the courage to ask for help. What, what are the kind of key resources that you send people to? How do people find you? Well, people find me uh, in several different ways. I mean, I have a private practice so that 
when people want to work individually or in a, as part of a couple, um, they can they reach me through my office setting. Um, and then if people are dealing with more um, serious destructive behaviors like the domestic violence, uh, we have an institute that coordinates different kinds of uh, group interventions and designs programs for other facilities to uh, to implement their own um, programs for uh, for domestic violence and the um, the best resource for people in their in their own particular area is to uh, if if you're if you're an individual looking for help with let's say depression or anxiety or drug problems or relationship problems or anger management problems the, the to me the the quickest resource is to talk to other people uh, either other professionals whom you know, like your physician, or uh, other people you may be in contact contact with who know um, know the world of counseling and therapy, or just talk to friends. You'd be surprised how many other people have, in one way or another, used a counselor or therapist or some sort of uh, group intervention to help with their own um, their own situation. That's sort of like the ultimate crowdsource. You know, yeah. saying, hey, let's just tap into our community resource and find those shared experiences so maybe I don't feel quite so bad. Oh, my gosh, you guys have all been through this as well. Right. What worked for you? Help me move forward. Yeah. And well, and there's sometimes when I get contacted from people from uh, out of uh, the San Diego area where I am, um, who people who've read my book and want to uh, work with somebody like that, if I don't know anybody in that area, I say, do your – do your homework, find a good therapist and show them this book. Because if you found this book helpful, then that'll be a good guide for you in terms of a good, good guide for you and your counselor or therapist in terms of getting you through this. And the two books that I have that are booked for the public is this book called when good men behave badly, which is mostly about men in relationships and another book about male depression called, is he depressed or what, what to do when the man you love is moody, irritable and withdrawn which is really written for women who are in relationships with men who are, it turns out, are depressed, but it's not always obvious that they're depressed. So both of those can be good guides for people if they're, um, if they're just trying to get started with this process. This is an invaluable material, and uh, I'm, I'm really grateful that you were able to join us to talk about these things. These are skill sets that whichever side of the equation you're on, I think all of us have growth to do. Uh, with in terms of educating around this, talking about it, just recognizing this issue of guilt versus shame and recognizing that, hey, we need to boost each other up. We need to crowdsource to to help people be able to move forward. So thank you so much for joining us. Okay, thank you, Mark. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.